Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We have some actual breaking news. Just a few minutes ago, we found out that Zach Wheeler is going to be a Philly, so we'll talk about that. Earlier today, we learned Cole Hamels is going to be a Brave. Mike Moustakas is going to the Reds. I have some thoughts on Omar Narvaez and a couple of the non-tenders. Is the hot stove actually hot? Yes. It's been... I, I don't know how to I don't know how to quantify like a good or bad winter, but I know no one was super satisfied with the last two winners, and so far this one seems satisfying. Like we still went on to Rendon, Strasburg, Cole. I get it, but big names have been moving for sure. This week we've seen you know a bunch of maybe not the the tip of the the, the top top guys, but like the second tier. You know, Hamels today, Wheeler today. He, Wheeler was kind of in the top tier, maybe one A, um, and then a couple of days ago. Mike Moustakas to the Reds, not official yet, but it seems like it's, it's going pretty official. It's pretty official. <laughs> um, so there's there's stuff happening. And then the non-tenders, a lot of really interesting players got non-tendered. So that it actually like injected some new life into the free agent pool because there's a lot more uh, interesting interesting guys out there. Um, Wheeler to the Phillies just got announced. Uh, five years, $118 million. I'm sure Mets fans will be very thrilled about this. And you know what I just realized as well? Not only do Mets fans have to watch Zach Wheeler pitch against them next year, they have to watch Joe Girardi, the manager they really wanted, out there making <laughs> making the changes. I feel bad for Mets fans. Anyway, Zach Wheeler joins the Phillies rotation that has Aaron Nola, uh, Jake Arrieta, Zach Eflin, maybe Pavetta over Alaska. It still feels like they need one more guy at de- least. De- definitely. Um, it, you know, even before we knew he was going to the Phillies, you know, you – we're throwing all sorts of hot takes at me about how Zach Wheeler is better than Steven Strasburg. And I don't think I actually buy that because it's ridiculous. Um, but he's really good. And it's not just based on projection, right? Like part of this is people look at his career stats and his resume. It's like, it's okay. Right. And the idea is, well, if you look at all the, the underlying data, you think like a really next generation team could bring that out. I don't know if the Phillies are that team, by the way. Um, but as you were pointing out to me, he's actually already been very good. Exactly. This idea that like, oh, he's getting paid for potential. It's like kind of true because I, I definitely could see a scenario in which he finds, you know, makes a change and unlocks something and becomes a Cy Young contender. But over the last two seasons, according to Fangraphs, he's been one of the top 10 pitchers in baseball with a higher combined war in that time than Steven Strasburg, <laughs> as well as other, other um, uh, famous pitchers such as Zane Greinke, uh, Clayton Kershaw. And many, many Luis Castillo, Luis Castillo, many, many more. So right off the bat, and like, yes, I was kind of joking to Mike earlier in the, in the uh, when we talked about in the office where I said, oh, he's better than Strasburg. I don't think it's that ridiculous of a case to make that he is a more attractive free agent when you consider that he's two years younger and has performed similarly over the last couple of years. They both have injury histories. Strasburg has even more recent injury history where he missed a lot of time. Part of the reason Wheeler has a higher war over the last two years is that Strasburg missed a bunch of 2018. But Strasburg's getting paid more, though. He is. He is. And I think the industry view, my point is, yes, I understand the industry views him as better. He's going to get paid more. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, like, there's a very reasonable chance, like, our colleague Andrew Simon said one in three. I think it might be higher that, like, over the next five years, Zach Wheeler's a better pitcher than Steven Strasburg. It's not, like, a crazy, it's not a crazy scenario. And, like, he ended up getting a contract kind of similar to what Patrick Corbin got last year. And I think that's, like, sort of a good comp in terms of the type of pitcher he was at the moment he entered the market. But uh, the aforementioned Andrew Simon also wrote a piece um, from OB.com recently talking about how there's a lot of parallel parallels between uh, Garrett Cole and Zach Wheeler. That if you want to dream on Zach Wheeler, you can think of, oh, when you know, Garrett Cole was a good pitcher with the Pirates, 
he left, went to the, went to the Astros, did unlock something, and went to another level. Wheeler has been a good pitcher with the Mets. There's a very similar profile in terms of like build, fastball velocity um, that suggests that maybe he could have a similar kind of you know transformation. Yeah, Andrew Simon wrote about this a couple weeks ago, and what he did was he went on the Baseball Savant Player page for Zach Wheeler, and on there there's a little tool that says uh, similar pitchers to this guy based on velocity and movement, and it's not just do you throw the same pitch types, but it's specifically you know do your pitches have the same kind of movement? Obviously, not every curveball is the same, not every slider is the same, same velocity. And if you look at the three names at the top of the list for highest similarity to Zach Wheeler, you get Garrett Cole, Nathan Avaldi. And Brandon Woodruff, which is pretty interesting. And so, you know, he dug into it more. And basically what he did was he looked into it and he said that Cole has a similarity score of 0.94 to Wheeler. And what that basically means is that 94% of Wheeler's games, at least half the pitches he threw matched the profile of pitches thrown by Cole. They both throw very hard. They both got very good curveballs. And, you know, you're right, as Matt said, there does seem to be like room for, I don't want to say improvement, but say maybe changes here. I mean, Cole this year, everybody knows his story by now. He ditched the sinker. He threw more curveballs. He throws more high four-seam fastballs. Wheeler this year, 30% four-seamers, 30% sinkers. It feels like there is possibly some room for that. I'm not saying he's going to be Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in baseball right now. But Wheeler was already very good. Even if he did nothing at all, he'd be good. And it feels like he could be slightly more than that. Exactly. I mean, I think that if he performs like he has the last couple of years, like, the Phillies will be very happy with the contract they gave him. Like you, I mean, he probably won't start opening day just because Noel has been there for a yeah, couple yeah. of years. But like, it's reasonable to suggest he should be their number one starter. Well, and what's funny too is he'll probably be happy about throwing to JT Romuto instead of throwing to Wilson Ramos, right? And then I think most pitchers will look at the Phillies defense and say, well, this isn't a very good defense, but he just came from the Mets defense, which wasn't a very good defense. I, I think, I don't know that it's the place I would want to go if I were a pitcher, um, but obviously like he is, he is worth the money, just even if he did exactly what he was doing, I think that's a good signing for them. And he might be more, and that's what you always want to dream on. And also, you know, we, I've, I forgot um, who this came up with. I know we talked about this recently on the uh, – on the podcast, I think we we're talking about the, when we were talking about the Angels signing Garrett Cole and like how it's an, sort of a, an extra big swing because they steal him from a division rival. Yes, like to me, this is like <laughs> I, I I think that's like a an underplayed part of all these moves. Like when you could take a star player from your division rival. Granted, it didn't work as well when they stole took Bryce Harper from the Nationals last year, <laughs> mind you. But, there were some takes, <laughs> but I do think that there's like a there's you know an extra maybe it's not an exact like oh well Zach Wheeler was worth you know, five wins for the Mets and he's going to be worth five. It's like a 10 win swing. I wouldn't exactly say it's that because the Mets are going to replace him with someone. Are, are they? Presumably <laughs> someone who's better than the replacement level. The point remains that like, it's, an, it's sort of an extra little dagger when you could like take an impact player from a division rival, someone you're fighting with for a spot in playoffs. I agree with you. So this is an obvious step forward for the Phillies. Are the Phillies good enough right now? Um, I mean, that, that rotation is still, it's yeah. actually, I, I like looking at it on paper, it still is that actually kind of underwhelming. I mean, Jake Arrieta, who knows? Yeah, right? he was like, not good last year. He's F- coming off a surgery. Eflin, Pavetta, Velasquez, they're like total wild cards. And don't forget the bullpen. The, the bullpen is basically what got Gabe Kapler fired last year. Yeah, and I mean, Robertson might miss the... I believe he's... Missing yeah, the air? I think yeah, so. so like, it's... I think that, I mean, you, you could see them, you know, getting, going on, getting on the starter. And for, granted, I mean, this is why, I mean, we talked to... In, Mike and I talked yesterday when the... Or a couple of days ago when the non-tenders came out. Um, about how weird it was that Cesar Hernandez got non-tendered by the Phillies because, like, he's a pretty good player and they're trying to compete. 
but with the other needs that they have, where it's like there's a gazillion second baseman on the market, yeah, and they need pitching desperately. I mean, Hernandez was, was going to make ten million, so they don't have that ten million on their payroll, and now they go out and sign Wheeler, and they're presumably going to go out and get at least another starter. And you know, who knows? There, on there the aren't paper. really any relievers. Maybe maybe Dallin Batantis really <clears throat> wants to pitch for Joe Girardi again. I don't know. <laughs> uh, they could use an infielder too. Maybe Segura plays second base. Anyway, I think this is cool. I'm I'm happy that. Um, a really interesting guy in Wheeler, like got a nice deal. Cause I, I find him fascinating. Like you said, he could be outstanding, but if not, he's already very good. He's, he's more interesting to me than Madison Bumgarner by, by quite a lot. For sure. I mean, you know, Bumgarner is going, Bumgarner is going to get a less than this, but maybe a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think he's going to get like two, maybe two thirds of this, something like that. Three, like three years and five for 75. Yeah. Four. Okay. Something yeah. like that. He's not going to get him. He's also not, I mean, think about Bumgarner. Granted, he's got a lot more mileage on the arm, but he's like only a year older than, yes. than, than Wheeler because he debuted like when he was like 20 and Wheeler, you know, had a lot of injuries and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, one last thing on Wheeler, our friend Sarah Langs, who was on the show last week, tweeted this out and I just thought it was interesting trivia. Uh, Zach Wheeler has 749 in a third career innings for the Mets and he's now going to pitch for the Phillies. There are only three other pitchers who threw more innings for the Mets and also pitched for the Phillies. Can you guess any of them? I guess, you know, this is an unfair question because you're now looking at the answer on the sheet I printed out for you. Uh, the answers are Jerry Kuzman, Sid Fernandez, and Tug McGraw. I think I would have only guessed Tug McGraw. I don't remember Sid Fernandez in the Phillies. Yes. Um, <laughs> and there's also um, uh, Pedro Martinez. I don't know. He just probably didn't throw as many innings. Yeah. Tug yeah. McGraw is like the, the, the most famous uh, Philly what, Met what crossover. Is, what is fascinating about this is this is one of, the, I guess, the simultaneous upsides and downsides of watching like Twitter for these moves like on a second-to-second basis. Right now, Philly fans are generally stoked. We got Zach Wheeler. Two hours ago, they wanted to jump off a bridge because Cole Hamels didn't sign there and instead went to the Braves. Uh, for one year and $18 million. I find this one to be really interesting too. That's basically what the qualifying offer is. The Cubs didn't give it to him. And then the Braves went out and basically gave him that. Um, now that I think about it, if the Phillies had given him that, that rotation would have looked a lot better. And now he's going to a division rival. The NL East is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And the, I mean, right now, I mean, the, the Braves have been really bold all offseason. Maybe not with the huge moves, but they made a bunch of like potentially impact moves in the bullpen, um, signing Darno, now getting. Hamels and the Phillies have made this. Now the Nationals and the Mets kind of need to respond and, yeah. and do something. Even, even the Marlins have made some moves, like exactly. VR and, and Jesus Aguiar. <laughs> so it's, um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, Hamels, you know, it's the Braves are a really good team, and Hamels, I'm not really sure what to expect from him because he had such an uneven year last year, but they need some pitching depth, and I think that he could be still be reliably like – Okay. It, it's probably just it's probably too cute to just look at him and say, oh, he's the replacement for Dallas Keuchel. It's like, oh, another veteran left-handed pitcher. Well, I guess that's what we're going to do. I like him better than Keuchel. Uh, you're right. His year last year was super weird. He uh, injured his oblique on June 28th, and before that, he was pitching very well. 298 ERA, which is great. 285 weighted on base, which is above average. And then he came back, and it was not great. A 579 ERA and a 381 weighted on base. When you are 35 years old and you end your season like that after an injury – that is usually like giant flashing red alarm bells. But earlier this week, he spoke to NBC Chicago and he gave a really interesting quote. He said, uh, because the Cubs were in a playoff hunt, he said, I was trying to come back. I knew that I needed to be back there because I was doing so well. And after healing up and not throwing a ball for almost 18 days, I rushed back into my throwing program and I was just never able to get my shoulder the right strength. And that's sort of the uh, thin line between it's admirable. You want to go help your team and 
you may not be helping your team if you're pitching through pain. So obviously, as I said, the numbers were not very good. In the middle of September, they basically shut him down because he wasn't pitching very well and he had shoulder fatigue. And he took an entire week off, he said. He's like, this is another quote from him. I got to that part in the end of September where I couldn't really lift and throw the ball. My shoulder was so fatigued. I was able to take a week off and everything felt amazing. I was able to pitch the last game. September 28th against the Cardinals, eight strikeouts in four innings. No walks, no runs. Now, the Cardinals didn't actually have a very good offense this year, but either way, that's really impressive. If you look at the velocity, uh, splitting this up into three groups here. First, through when he was injured in the early part of the year, his average fastball was 91.6. When he came back before that last start, down to 90.9. And in that last start, 91.4. These aren't huge gaps, and Hamels has never been a guy who has relied on velocity. Um, But if you also look at the kind of pitcher he was before he got hurt, that's pretty good. This is only a one-year deal, obviously. Even if you just take a season as a whole, that's about a league average pitcher. Um, And I I think I like this. I mean, it's, it's... any team could have used him, assuming you're counting on him to be like a fourth starter, and they have such a young rotation, they needed a veteran guy. Um, I think Braves fans wanted Bumgarner because they just they love the local angle. He's not Georgia, but you know North Carolina's same difference. I like this deal. Same difference. Come oh, on. Oh, you know what though? Like most of the South yeah. before the Nationals, it was all Braves. I, I get it. I get it. I get. It. I know what you mean. I mean the the one thing that gives me pause looking at uh, Cole Hamill's uh, player page on Baseball Savant is that like his like batted ball and velocity indicators and like quality of contact are not great. You know, there's a, we have a little meters that says like blue for bad and red for good. And there's a lot of blue. Um, well, that's why you get him on a one year deal. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, it's, it's like, a it's kind of, he's one of those guys where I, you would think he's like, he's, he's 35. Like he's not, he's not young anymore. He is definitely the crafty, crafty uh, veteran lefty right now on a one year deal. I, I, I totally get it. Even if I don't necessarily expect big things, you know, he could give them some some cromulent innings. He had, <laughs> he had 14 years, or he still has 14 years of 23 or more starts. Um, his his changeup is still excellent. If you look at the numbers, he has uh, the seventh best starting pitcher changeup last year in terms of weighted up base. And the guys who are ahead of him, Strasburg, Luis Castillo, DeGrom, Ryu, Gio Gonzalez, and Zach Greinke. That's still pretty good. Uh, and so now the Atlanta rotation looks something like uh, Soroka, Number one, Fulton Evich, Hamels, Max Freed. And then they just have like an endless run of, you know, young guys like <clears throat> Newcomb, Tuki Tissant, Wright or Wilson or Ian Anderson at some point. They they could probably still use someone else, but that's pretty good. That, and that's, I mean, that's what the Braves did a really good job of last year was they just, you know, and obviously Soroka came through and was like much better than people expected. And then Freed, you know, took a step forward, but they had a lot of options. And their rotation on opening day wasn't like flashy, but it was like, okay, they have like, nine guys in their 40-man roster, you feel comfortable yeah. starting a game for you. And they're, they're in a similar position right now. And like Hamill's just sort of like, he is, he kind of, he does sort of take the Keuchel place of just like, okay, here's like a, a lefty we can rely, a veteran we can rely on to go to be decent and at least definitely not like embarrass us. They, they have one more piece they need. They need a third baseman. Now, maybe that's Josh Donaldson. Maybe it's Anthony Rendon. Someone tweeted at me, it's going to be Nolan Arenado. I don't actually think that's going to happen. Although, there's at least reason for the Rockies to consider trading him, which they never will. When I think of like crazy trade ideas, like a Arenado and like Blackman to the Braves trade, like makes a lot of weird sense to me. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, Blackman I, is a Georgia guy. That's part of the uh, the thought process. They could use an outfielder. I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's never, ever, ever going to happen. <laughs> but I have a hard time seeing the Rockies doing well this exactly. year. So you should absolutely <laughs> consider it. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Here's a move, as we said. It hasn't officially happened, but we're just going to assume it will officially happen. Mike Moustakas signs with the Reds. Four years, 
$64 million. This one was kind of a big deal because, as you probably remember, in each of the previous two winters, he had to settle for a somewhat shocking one-year deal. And now he gets a four-year deal. And I think everybody is generally pretty happy about this because uh, I think we would all agree he had deserved more than a one-year deal in each of the last two seasons. And now he gets a four-year deal. So, like, that's good and good on him. It's a little interesting, though, because and Andrew Simon, I, I tweeted this out, and I thought it was really interesting. He's basically the same guy he's always been. Uh, in 2017, he had a 113 weighted runs created plus, and he was a two-win player. And then the next year, it was 105 and two wins. And last year, it was 113 and two wins. But now this is the time, two years older, he gets a four-year deal and wait for it to play second base, presumably full-time because Eugenio Suarez is the third baseman there in Cincinnati. Like We'll talk about the Reds in a second. They needed a bat, so good on them for being aggressive to get one. Uh, this was... There's a lot of angles to this one. I'm not sure I love it. It's a weird, it's a weird, it's a bit of a weird fit. Um, you know, I've never been a huge Moustakas fan, but he's actually turned out to be a better player than I ever kind of expected him to be. He's just consistently good. He's been, I mean, you just noted has been remarkably consistent, and his batted ball indicators are like are better than like they're good, not great. He's like above average in terms of hard hit percentage and expected weight on base and expected slugging. He's like a legitimately like good power hitter. It's just like the the Reds aren't really leaving themselves that much. I guess he can play second or third, but they don't really need someone to play second or third because they have one of the best third basemen in baseball. Right. And they're basically locked in at third, second, and first with guys who aren't really that athletic, two of whom, Moustakas and Votto, don't really seem like they're necessarily going to age that well. It's not even about the money with Moustakas. It's just like, is this a guy I want on my roster for the next four years? Yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. Sh- I'm not really sure that I do. I, I really feel like we're at a very weird time in like baseball fandom slash media where it's like you definitely want to be happy that a guy got a big contract, but also I'm not sure this makes that much sense. You know, like let's talk about the Reds for a second, right? We would agree um, that they were one of the teams, I think, along with the White Sox probably, who desperately and Angels, who desperately needed to be aggressive this year, right? Because they made all those trades last year. They were trying to go for it, and they traded for Puig and Kemp and, and Roark and Gray. And, you know, Gray worked out great, uh, but they, they still weren't any good. You know, so they, they traded some pretty good prospects. Like Taylor Trammell is still a pretty good prospect. Um, so the only thing they could do is continue to go for it, and especially on offense. Last year, they had the sixth fewest runs in baseball. They had tied with Seattle the lowest hard hit rate in baseball. That's bad. This is the most telling stat, I think. They had just Suarez, just one hitter who had at least 400 plate appearances uh, and an OPS plus above 100. So they had one regular average or better hitter. That is tied with Detroit for the fewest in baseball. That is, as they say, not what you want. Um, But you're right. They're already locked in at first base with Votto. So they needed to go somewhere. And, you know, second base is a pretty good spot to look at because, you look at their group last year, it was it was Peraza. Uh, I remember Scooter Jeanette like completely fell apart. Derek Dietrich had like the best three weeks of his life and then completely fell apart. Josh Van Meter, whatever. If you look at their second baseman while they're playing second base, they had a 288 on base percentage that was fourth worst and a 288 weighted on base, which was seventh worst. And Mistakis has never been a high on base guy and he's never going to be, uh, but he's better than that. And yeah, I'm a little hesitant to say like it's a great ballpark for him because it is, but so was Milwaukee. You know, yeah. so it's not like a, not that big of a difference. Um, I guess the question here is really, you know, do you think he is going to repeat the year he just had when he hit 35 home runs? I'm not sure. And do you think he can play second base? I'm actually cautiously optimistic on the defensive part, with the exception that, as you said, 
there are so many second basemen. Jonathan Scope is out there, and Dozier, and Sogard, and Kipnis, and Starlin Castro, and Hernandez, and Yolmer Sanchez, and Wilmer Flores. And I'm not saying I'd prefer all those guys to Moustakas because I wouldn't, but there were options. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the roster still, I mean, it's a it's a really interesting roster, um, especially the pitching. I mean, the pitching on the high end, Gray, Castillo, Bauer, that's a good, good way to start your rotation. Um, the lineup, though, you still have... Tucker Barnhart a catcher, so there's they, they really, needed Grandel. <laughs> you still got you know you still right now have Jesse Winger lined up as your left fielder, and he's okay, but like he's been hurt a yeah. lot. Um, center fielder is Nick Senzel, who's like talented, but still kind of an enigma because he might be better. He might be better off as an infielder, but there he's definitely now. That's what I would have done is I would have put him at second base inside an outfielder. So and then Aquino and Wright, who was amazing for August, and that was actually really bad in September. <laughs> it's so it's it's there's I think they. they they're going to need to go out and get, you know, there's not really an easy way to upgrade a catcher without making some sort of drastic trade. Um, and even then, it's like, you're not getting Real Muto. No. You're obviously not getting Grandal. So, no. like, after that, you might as well just, like... Wilson but, Ramos? I don't know. So, like, I, I think they're an obvious destination for a possible Sterling Marte trade. Oh, that's so perfect. I mean, uh, the, actually, the Phillies are, too, now that I think about it. Um, I could definitely see Castellanos or Azuna on this team. Um, that is such a rough defense. I know. Already, kind of. It's, but I mean, they're, they're not going to bring back Puig, you know, so it's no. like the outfield options aren't, aren't great. So it's, it's a weird spot. So if you're looking for, for trades to me, like they actually might be the most obvious fit for, for Marte right now. How about Mookie Betts? He's that not, would be he's, awesome. He's not going to get traded. That would be awesome. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the Reds just brought in uh, Kyle Bodie from driveline baseball. They're really leaning into like advanced pitching. Yeah. I mean, they just, you know. And it paid off last year. So I, I think that, I mean. You almost get the sense they feel like they are now. They you know, exactly they they were able to turn Sonny Gray's career around. Bauer was actually kind of even for them, but you know he came in the middle of the year. You'll kind of give a little bit of pass. I'm very curious to see how Bauer comes out, having spent the off season and spring training working with like the His people, best bud, yeah, yeah who like <laughs> helped turn him into a yeah. lead pitcher um, to begin with. So I sort of feel like the Reds are almost feeling like they, hey, we can find pitching. You know, now we can well, let's go out and like spend our money. And turn this offense around because I mean their offense last year, as you noted, was not good, but their run differential was basically even. Ten runs, I think. They were yeah, they're minus ten, so they were better they're than their the, record indicated. And, so, and the bullpens, I mean, the bullpen with Iglesias and Amir Garrett, like and uh, Stevenson, like exactly. and yeah, it's a it's an interesting team, but they definitely they seem prepared to spend money. They were supposedly in on Wheeler, so I think that like they're going to go and get one of these outfield types or swing a trade for. One of these, you know, for from for Marte, and, and now's the time, right? I would say the NL Central is probably more uncertain than it's been in six years, right? I mean, the Pirates are a mess. Uh, the Brewers have just been losing players so far this offseason. Yeah. Who knows with the Cubs right now? Uh, the Cardinals were, were good, but they've got their holes. Like this is the time, exactly. And you know, you have Bauer is a free agent after this year. Um, you don't know if he's going to stay, but who knows? Um, so this is this is definitely a time. There's a window them. For the, there's a window there for them to win this division this year. Yeah. Votto, um, I sort of I was talking about someone. I almost I could see him trying to maybe, and this might not be a good thing, but like almost kind of try and transform into like that late career Joe Mauer, where basically like I'm going to give up on hitting for any power, but I can still be like a 370 OBP guy, yeah. which I think he totally could. And that seems like to me that seems like his future. Just give up on the power. <laughs> exactly. I, I know I don't hate that idea. Um, on on Mustakas, real quick, 96 percent of his games. I've been played at third base. He played his first 47 games at second base just last year, but he only started once after June 27th, right? That could mean one of two things. One, that it wasn't working, or two, and perhaps more accurately, uh, that Travis Shaw imploded and Keston Hira arrived, so they didn't need a second baseman in Milwaukee. They needed a third baseman. 
if you look at his Statcast metrics, uh, and I will get to that in a second, he as a second baseman would have been estimated to make 87% of the plays, and he made 90%. He was actually plus three outs above average at second base and minus two at third base. That is right. I am talking about infield outs above average, which I promise you are coming very soon. Uh, more news on that, but it gives me some confidence that Mustakas can handle second. Just the role of second base has changed so much. Like shifting, obviously, um, you can't really get taken out at second base anymore. So if you're not, that's something a third baseman would never really be used to. You don't really have to be that used to it anymore. It's you know fewer balls in play, you know strikeouts, balls in the air. I don't want to say it's easy to play second base, but maybe easier than it once was. For sure. I mean, with all the shifting, it's been years now where third basemen are regularly shifting into right field and being forced to make plays where they have to make that throw, so they're getting used to the arm angle. Um, it's the um, it's it's the second base part's not what bothers me about it. It's the more just like I'm committing to this roster, this infield roster yeah, construction for, for the next five years, right? Which seems like a perhaps there will be a DH in the National League. Soon. And if they win the National League Central this year, the um, they they will they they will, it'll be worth it for them. I did want to talk uh, for a little bit about Omar Narvaez, who is reportedly on the trade market, um, and that's for a couple reasons. One is because Tom Murphy had kind of a pretty nice year for them. And now that they've signed Evan White to this deal to play first base and Dan Vogelback is there, they can use Austin Nola as a backup catcher. So it's a good time to have him on the market, um, partially because of that and partially just because the, the catching market has gone quickly. Like Randall signed Flowers and Darno, Vote, Gomes, you know, there's just, there are not that many catchers left. Um, and if you look at Narvaez, he seems to be one of the few guys who can hit. If you look at his last three years, the first two at the White Sox and last year with Seattle, uh, he has been... Uh, pretty much above average every single year. He was league average in 17, 122 in 18, and 119 last year. If you look at every catcher who has had 750 plate appearances over the last three years, there are 38 of them. He is tied for second best with Wilson Contreras and Gary Sanchez behind Yasmani Grandal. The dude can hit. Don't look at his defensive metrics, the framing numbers that is not great behind the plate, but it's really hard to find a catcher who can hit. So he's valuable because he can hit. He hit 22 home runs last year. Here's what confuses me. The stat cast metrics on him are really, really poor. Um, as, as Matt was referring to the red to blue sliders, if you go to his page, there's a lot of dark blue there. And uh, especially like in exit velocity and hard hit, you'd expect a guy who has been an above average hitter and just popped 22 home runs to have a little bit of pop in his bat. And it's not necessarily there. Last year in 2019, he had a 28% hard hit rate that was eighth percentile. That 28% was up from 19% and 24%. Like, that's not good. Uh, his expected weighted on base was 324, almost identical to what it had been the last two years. It's the 43rd percentile. And it seems like it's entirely about home runs because he only had 12 non-homer extra base hits. He had 12 doubles, no triples. Uh, he's not fast, obviously. So it basically comes down to, can he pop some homers, which he did to his credit. Um, but he had, you know, like I said, 22 homers. There were 269 guys who had double-digit homers. And his average home run distance of 385 feet was tied for 13th lowest. You don't get extra credit for hitting Joey Gallo homers. I get it. I'm just not sure what to make of this going forward. I would like to think he's a good hitter, and he has been a good hitter, and yet I can't explain why he's a good hitter. And based on Jerry DePoto's track record, it's all but certain he's going to get traded. And in well, fact, yeah. He actually is probably – the Reds might be the most obvious fit out uh, there. I don't know. Well, they were one of the obvious fits. I would, I would throw out the Angels, who – do not have a catcher right now. They they non-tendered Kevin Smith, so they have Anthony Bamboon until Max Stassi gets uh, gets healthy. And I would always, you know, I'm always going to throw out the Rockies because Tony Walters is not a starting caliber catcher, no matter what they say. I'm sorry. Continue. No, that's I mean that's basically it. But it's like it 
it's very, I don't think the return for him will, even though like his service level numbers look very good, the return for him is, is going to be probably pretty mild. And that's why it's almost hard to, it's hard to come up with a trade for him because you look at the numbers like, oh, catcher could hit like this. That's like a really valuable player. But yeah. then you kind of realize, oh, he's actually not that. I mean, he's, I guess he's in his pro, quote unquote prime. He's, he's 27. 27. Yeah. He's hit well, but the framing numbers aren't great. And it's like he doesn't have much of a pedigree. You know, it's 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 an odd it's an odd one. And yet, I would still want him at Coors Field because the Rockies need a catcher. Um, but it, it's I think of him as this thumper. I guess because my my bar for catcher offense is so low. And, it, and it, it's and, not just yours. It is. It's in baseball. Well, it is, it's sure. I mean, look at this. I, I looked up everybody who had a hundred balls hit in the air. So fly balls are line drives. So two hundred and seventy four of these guys. His average exit velocity of 88.8 was 16th lowest, similar to Tony Walters, Malik Smith, Victor Robles, Hoods, like light hitting shortstops and middle infielders. And I'm having a hard time squaring that. I feel like he's just pulling all these low liners. It's like Seattle's a hitter's park. It's not. I mean, I just like to have more confidence about a guy um, that he will continue doing this. And it's it's certainly not like, you know, having a low hard hit is the kiss of death because clearly he just performed well. It's just one of those things that gives you pause. And you know teams are looking up similar numbers and saying, I'm not so sure about this. He does have a, a high, you know, what we call the sweet spot percentage. Um, I think that's basically what, if you, if you want to sell someone on that, that's kind of what you would sell them on. That, you know, you know, he was like a 41% sweet spot percentage, which is like the, you know, the probably about like the 90th percentile. So that ranks 21st of players with um, at least 50 batted ball events last year. So that's. He's that's, got he's got great launch angle. <laughs> that's, that's that's basically what's what you're selling. But it's the names above him aren't so impressive that make you think like I mean essentially it's the it's the Louis Arise profile basically. I guess so. Um, but uh, the names ahead of him are on the list don't make you think like oh wow that's a sign that you know the number one in the, the a fifty bad ball you would never get this in a million years fifty bad ball events number one in sweet spot percentage was Austin Hayes of the. Orioles. I would never guess what team he was on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, followed by Donovan Solano and Manny Pena. So obviously those guys didn't come to the plate that much, but the point remains that like it's not necessarily the an indicator of an automatic indicator of success. Finally, uh, some interesting non-tender names from last week. Um, I guess I should just quickly say that it's weird to me that Giants fans are losing their minds over Kevin Pillar. Like I think they should have tendered him just because he's competent and you know they don't have a lot of talent on that team. But <clears throat> he's an average outfielder. I think people still think of him as a Gold Glover, and he's not. He's an average defender and a below average hitter, and that's I don't know. That's easy to find. Like that's exactly the kind of guy that's non tendered. Well, the the, the the you know Andrew Simon did this piece. He looked at like kind of nine guys who might make an impact next year, and in a weird way, I think Pillar's consistency almost works against him. Because he doesn't have that like high, imp- he's like consistently a one to two win player. Yeah, and so it's like it's the Adam Jones problem. Why am I going to pay a premium for why? Am, you know, what, what, I don't know what he was going to make in arbitration. It's it's like, it was like ten million. Yeah, exactly. Why yeah. am I going to pay ten million for this when I could? You know, that type of player is usually available for very little. Often you can get them on a on a minor league deal. So, um, so like Andrew basically looked at the the group of non non tender players and sort of broke down guys who have like maybe not maybe have a lot more downside than Pilar, but have like a lot more upside. And the first name was the name that I think most people jumped on when the non-tenders came out, which is Blake Trinan of the A's. Yeah, and it wasn't just the surface level numbers that dropped for him. It was the velocity dropped, the spin dropped, the movement dropped. I, I If I knew why, I would have a job working for a team fixing him, but I don't know why. Um, a couple other interesting names, you know, Travis Shaw, who had been pretty good and then totally fell apart. I don't know if you saw his his agent throwing massive shade at the Brewers, where he was like, uh, "If some team just gives him a chance and believes in him, he'll be fine," which I thought was hilarious because <laughs> I think they I gave mean, him a shot. There is a very, there's a, I would say, a very good chance. There's a 
reasonable chance that he will outperform Mike Moustakis next I year. like that. I'll give you 20% odds on that. So, like, that, when you think of it that way, it's like, well, you know, Travis Shaw is suddenly looking looking pretty good. He'll, ha- he'll have suitors. I mean, what, two years ago, he hit 35 home I think runs? In two years in a row. Yeah. He did. So, like, it's um, it's not like the, the – I mean, the, the Brewers also just let go of Eric, Eric Thames. Like, it's not like yeah. they – and Moustakis is gone. Like, they actually probably – clearly there was something in that relationship that was not working, as evidenced by what the agent was saying. Because, like, they suddenly actually – they used to have a glut of those kinds of players, but right. they don't really have that glut anymore. And we didn't talk about it over Thanksgiving, but they traded away uh, Trent Grisham for Luis Arias, too, which – um, Padres fans hate it, but I think I actually like it more for the Padres, but I kind of like Trent Christian. Um, one name on this list who stands out to me is Kevin Gosman, who was, you know, continually, you know, like a lot of never really living up to expectations with Baltimore, which I always sort of assumed was more of a Baltimore thing than a Gosman thing. Um, but then he went to the Braves and they went to the Reds and he pitched in relief. And, you know, you saw that the increase in strikeouts you'd expect, he went from 24% whiffs as a starter to 32% whiffs as a reliever. 32% is really, really good. There's no good reason for this, maybe. His velocity didn't increase. He's only a two-pitch guy in the first place, so he couldn't drop his bad pitches. Maybe that just plays better when you don't have to face guys more than once. I don't know. But that was uh, maybe, you know, maybe the Reds are planning more deals so they needed to like save every penny they could. But I, I was kind of surprised they didn't think they could turn him around. It also depends. I mean, it's if, if he's sort of like willing to go into the market as a reliever, because I think that's what I would want to bring him in as especially with the with the weak reliever market i think he could get more he could probably get a better deal marketing himself as a reliever yeah than he could as a starter oh, i agree with you on because like i mean it's the drew pomerantz thing and right right now i mean it's you've got the best relievers left are i guess will harris is still out there dylan right? batansis batansis and trying i mean trying yeah is probably gonna do better by virtue of getting non-tendered because like yeah the, the, the market even people will take a chance on the, the reclamation project pro- project so gossman um it'll be interesting to see where he lands i i um I think as a reliever, he could be a valuable piece. Uh, some other interesting names, Steven Souza, who, you know, was was pretty decent and then got injured and missed all of last year. Uh, Taiwan Walker, I, I feel like he's going to end up back with Seattle somehow because they desperately need somebody. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, who we mentioned, CJ Crone, Jimmy Nelson, and Domingo Santana, who was actually like an above average hitter, but is a, he's a DH basically. He cannot play the outfield. I think that tells you a little bit about the market for those kind of players. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, Santana is another one of those guys like Santana and Cedric Chrome were both, uh, was it Cron or Chrome? I don't know. <laughs> um, we're both non tenor, and I feel like that's a very similar profile. Where it's like this guy could hit forty homers, but like that's all he's gonna do. It's like reminds me of like Chris Carter from a few years ago. Exactly like, what led, I was gonna say. Like led the league in homers and yeah. got and then he got, did he get on tenor eight or something? I don't remember. Um, yeah, there's some interesting players out here. I think some team will go out and find these guys and do pretty well for themselves. Uh, who, who's the next to sign? Who's next off the board? Of the big names? Of any name? Of any name? Um, I just got a push alert saying oh. that the Bumgarner is going to be as the market is heating up. So okay. maybe, maybe uh, I'll, go, I'll go with him. Uh, apparently, White Sox, Twins, Yankees, all uh, all in the mix. Uh, he will not go to the Yankees. Twins, Twins. I yeah, think I mean, they- I mean, the Twins are definitely. I mean, with, I mean, I think Wheeler was definitely the kind of pitcher that um, the Twins and the White Sox should have been looking at. Yeah. So, well, the, I think the White Sox were in on. Yeah. On um, so Bumgarner to the Twins, or that would. I mean, I just can't. Him in Twins uniform would look so weird. Well, I mean, maybe uh, Hyunjin Ryu will sign somewhere too. Uh, Ryu, uh, I could see Keuchel. On the, Keuchel is going to be on the White Sox for the Twins. I think that's like my. Uh, I think that's that seems like a, a foregone conclusion. Uh, I don't know if I love Keuchel back in the American League, but I think you might be right. Those are the two teams most desperate for pitching. Um, but other, yeah. than, other than the Yankees, obviously. Um, all right. Well, I guess we'll find out soon. So Wheeler to the Phillies, Mustakas to the. Reds and Hamels to the Braves. That is our show for this week. We will catch you next week. Thanks for listening.